Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Good morning, everyone. Don's robust singing seemed to make up for that extra hour lost, doesn't it? Wakes you up. Always, it's always good to be with you. My wife sends her greetings. She couldn't be here this time, and uh, that's her, it's, she knows that it's her loss. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 in a message called uh, Wisdom Rules. While you're turning there, if you want, I'll also have the words on the screen, but while you're turning there, um, in the back, I do have, uh, I only brought two different books that people keep telling me they're giving them away, like Zach said. So if you want to replenish your supply, there's some fishing books and uh, Simply by Grace books there. Those are the ones people tend to give away a lot as tools uh, and witnesses. So, um, and then the newsletter, uh, this is a page two of the latest newsletter. Uh, it shows some of the countries I'll be going to this year, five international trips, starting with the Philippines in a couple weeks, or less than a couple weeks. And then the South Africa, and then to New Zealand, and then to sending a team to Ghana, and I'll be going to Burundi in East Africa, and uh, we end up with a trip to Israel later in the fall. I think that's all I'm going to do. I'm a bit overcommitted. So appreciate your prayers, and the newsletter would help you do that. If you want to get, get the newsletter, just the easiest, or any materials, the easiest thing to do is just go back and scan the little QR code that you see here. It's on the back table, and you'll immediately get our app, which takes you right to anything that you want, resources, uh, articles, videos, podcasts, and, and everything else. So that's the easiest way to do it. Well, let's talk about wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 13, and then we'll go into chapter 10. Recently, I was at a church, and they told me a very sad tale. A 16-year-old boy met someone online, a girl, woman, I don't know, who convinced him to send her compromising pictures of himself and then threatened to blackmail him. The boy was so distraught, he killed himself. I hate to begin with such a down story, but isn't that what we need to hear today? I mean, that's the reality where our young people are living and where we, all of us are living, where so much of our interactions are not face-to-face and so much of God's wisdom, like in the book of Proverbs, is talking about face-to-face interactions. But to be honest with you, isn't most of our interaction today online and social media? Instagram, Facebook, I don't do TikTok, but... <laughs> Hope you don't. It's going to be outlawed, probably. I mean, there's all kinds of craziness online. And people are just going at each other and making friends or making enemies. I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. I debated even whether I should tell that bummer of a story to start the day with. But if that's what the reality is, maybe that's something that we ought to know. And maybe there's some wisdom that ought to be passed on to the young folks from hearing that or from us warning them about that kind of thing. So parents give their children wisdom. That's one of the responsibilities of being a good parent. Comes to us in different ways. Uh, like um, uh, if, a, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Your parents ever tell you that? Measure twice, cut once. 
um, save your money. That was my mom's favorite one. She told, she told all of us and our grandchildren, save your money, save your money. She was from the Depression area. She knew what it was like to be without money and eat bread for dinner, bread and mustard for dinner. So save your money was one of her favorite things. Go into marriage with your eyes half open, and after you're married, keep them half closed. <laughs> Those little tidbits of wisdom is the responsibility of parents to their children. Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, kind of takes a parental role and responsibility in writing the book. As we believe at the end of his life, he's passing on to the younger generation because he talks about younger people in the beginning chapters. He's passing on wisdom to live by. Now Solomon didn't end well with his many wives and idolatry. But somewhere along the way, he took the time to share the wisdom that he had found in his, what we might call a baccalaureate message to the human race. A little wisdom goes a long way, like asking for directions or finding the directions ahead of time or making plans for a trip, your reservations or whatever it takes, good places to eat if you're going that kind of a trip, shopping for a lower price for something, or investing your time and money in a good education or just learning to be courteous. Those kinds of things go a long way. Unfortunately, our society values the wrong kinds of things. Our society seems to value, to value these days many foolish things, brashness, rudeness, shock, lewdness, tolerance of everything except disagreement. Everything foolish. And we, we say, where is the wisdom around us in our culture and in our society? Wisdom is looked at as prudish or old-fashioned, uh, boring. Um, but those who live according to wisdom tend to live a better life and a richer life. Have you been to your high school reunion? You're maybe your 30th or 40th, give a little time there, and you, or even your 50th, and look at the crowd that used to go to high school with you the ones who were wild and reckless and have been so all their life, it shows on their faces if they're still alive. But those who were the boring kids in school, who did everything proper, were disciplined, they look pretty good, you know? They've weathered life pretty well. Somewhere along the line, they picked up principles of wisdom and began to live by them. Plug into wisdom, and you'll have a more successful and a richer life. So in this section of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is drawing, again, some deductions from his main theme. Remember the main theme in the opening chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes? Everything is vanity or meaningless, or like the word comes from vapor. So everything is an enigma. We don't understand life. That word vanity is used 39 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, more than the word God is used. So it becomes a main theme. Another important phrase that we'll even run into in today's passage is under the sun. Because everything from our human perspective under the sun looks like there's no meaning to it. And he talks about the injustice and the, the good dying young and things like this that we just don't understand. So Solomon is admitting to a great degree of puzzlement over the way the world is operating. And he is sharing how to live in a world where life can be short, life can be uncertain, and it's unpredictable. 
And so he's at the end of his life now and sharing these things with us. He demonstrates the theme by explaining how he tried to find wisdom and pleasure and wine and women and song and so forth. Couldn't find it there. And so now he's in these chapters, 7 through 12, part of 12, he talks about some of the deductions from the theme, some of his conclusions about how to live a wise life. So let's begin with verse 13 in this section because the last section chapter of chapter 9 and verse 11 ended with um, time and chance happen to everybody. In other words, we can't predict life. We can't control life. Things just happen. It's out of control. So in that case, with that framework, how are we to live? Well, here's what he says. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor, that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. All right, let's see if we can unravel this. I think what he's trying to say is we should appreciate a wise person in our midst. And he gives us an example of uh, something he sees under the sun from the human perspective that he gives an example of a little city and that little city is uh, besieged by a great king. And yet there's a little poor wise man in the city. Nobody even knows his name today. And yet he delivered the city. How did he deliver it? I don't know. It doesn't explain. And he didn't get any recognition for it. I think the whole point of that story is to show that a little wisdom goes a long way. It reminds us of the story in 2 Samuel chapter 20, but the details are different. In 2 Samuel chapter 20, we have um, uh, Joab who's chasing um, Sheba, an enemy of King David. And so he's chasing Sheba. Sheba hides in a town called Abel. And so Joab begins to build siege works against the town to conquer the city. And there's a little old woman there. And she says, she says, tell Ahab I want to, tell Joab I want to talk to him. So Joab comes and you can just picture them, her screaming down off the top of the wall and said, why do you want to kill our city and the women here? We're a city of Israel. We're the inheritance of the Lord. And, they, and Joab says, well, deliver Sheba to me. So it, said, it, it calls her a wise woman. A wise woman spoke to him. And then it says, in her wisdom, she went and talked to the people. And the next thing you know, she was heads flying over the wall. Mission accomplished. City saved by a woman who's called wise, but we don't know her name. A little wisdom goes a long way. Well, unfortunately, our society doesn't visit, uh, value that kind of wisdom. We instead admire the celebrities, the noisemakers, the flashy, and not the simple folks whose names we may, may never know. People watch late night comedy instead of the history channel or something meaningful that we could learn from. Fools in this world tend to be more exciting, making wisdom look boring. But wisdom pays off in the long run. 
it's a better way of life. A little wisdom goes a long way. He talks here about the, the words of the wise spoken softly in verse 17 should be heard. There's wisdom in speaking softly and gently. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Is that what you see on, uh, on I, you know, I don't, I belong to Twitter, but I don't use it. But if, if you go on Twitter, people are screaming at each other in cyber language. <laughs> You can just see the nastiness coming out. Nobody's using a soft, well, a few people are using soft and gentle voices on social media and even in person. I love what he says at the end of the passage in verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Why? Because if you have wisdom, you don't need weapons of war, right? So what he's saying, if you'll allow me, wisdom is better than a whole nuclear arsenal. Because if you have wisdom, you don't need a nuclear arsenal. Right? So what is behind all the wars in this world? Foolishness, covetousness, greed, and all these other things, but not wisdom. We don't see wisdom in warfare. Appreciate a wise person. They can make a big difference. Let's see where we're at here. Okay, so let's go into chapter 10. Don't waste wisdom. Here's this, here we get a modern-day phrase from this. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. Okay, let's unravel this. The first phrase, the first verse, brings us that familiar phrase, there's a fly in the ointment, meaning there's something to spoil it. But actually, we kind of misquote the phrase, which talks about flies in the ointment, or the perfumer's ointment. Now, perfume in those days, now these days, I don't know how they make it, but probably a lot of synthetic materials and so forth, and then they charge you a million bucks for it. I'm glad I'm allergic to it, so my wife doesn't have to buy it. And I don't have to buy it for her. But in those days, it was very hard to make. It was expensive to make, a very slow process, tedious process. But evidently, they used natural materials, which were attractive to flies, perhaps. And so flies, not singular, but plural, get in there. You can imagine a lot of flies getting in there. And if it, it's left open or ignored for a while, they're going to get stuck, and they're going to die. And it's going to smell like anything but perfume and ruin the whole batch. So he's comparing that to a little bit of foolishness to somebody who's really respected and honored and considered wise. Just a little bit of foolishness can really ruin a person or a reputation. Do I have to read a list of names to you? Richard Nixon, Bill Clinton, Daryl Strawberry, Pete Rose, Ravi Zacharias, many Christians we could add to that list, who's Spent a lifetime building a reputation, gaining power, wealth, celebrity, and a little bit of foolishness 
ruins the whole thing, ruins their reputation, ruins their ministry, ruins their future. It's sad, but that's the power of foolishness. The wise man's heart is in his right hand and a fool's heart is in his left. I think he's simply saying the right hand being the right place, the left hand being the wrong place. And that's typically in most cultures honored that way. The right hand is a place of honor. So in many cultures we learn not to give gifts with our left hand and not to eat with our left hand. Um, it's just considered the wrong thing. And so that's where the fool is. He ends up in the wrong. What is a fool? A fool, I think by definition, is somebody who's ignoring God or despising God. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So it's somebody who's living life apart from God without consideration of what God has to say about life. That would be a fool. He lacks wisdom. And he shows by his actions that he is a fool. And then he talks about those, uh, if your ruler comes against you, uh, don't run away. Hang in there. It's easy if somebody is ruling or your boss or your government or something to just say, I'm going to go to Canada and live. <laughs> I'm going to go to Australia or I'm going to change companies. Why not give it a shot and use your wisdom? Be conciliatory and, 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 and peaceful about the whole thing. And, uh, and things may turn out differently. Didn't Joseph learn to live under Pharaoh and succeed immensely? Didn't Daniel learn to live under the Medes and Persians and do very well? Of course he did. Didn't the Apostle Paul live under the corrupt Roman government and do well? Of course he did. They didn't run from it. They just lived wisely under it. So no matter who's in government, we can't blame them for our lives and, and the things that we, well, we can blame them for some things. But we still choose a wise course living under even foolish rulers or a foolish boss or a foolish teacher or a foolish parent or whatever the case. The world tends to promote fools. I won't say anything about some of the situations going on in culture where fools are in charge. We'll just let you draw your own conclusions about that. But don't waste wisdom. Wisdom, uh, put it to work instead. And we put it to work by getting the job done. Verses 8 through 10. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must move, use more strength, but wisdom brings success. So here's a picture of someone who's digging a hole. Why is he digging a hole? Maybe to lay a snare for somebody, uh, entrap somebody, uh, that could be. And if so, he falls in it himself, which is ironic or what we would call poetic justice. Uh, I tend to think he has nefarious motives in doing this. Um, because of the way the, the next one also talks about someone who's breaking through a stone wall. Why would somebody do that uh, if somebody else built the wall, somebody else owns the property on the other side, but he's maliciously breaking through the wall, not considering the fact that that's where snakes like to hide, and so he can get bitten by a snake. He didn't think things through. He didn't use wisdom. Neither of them did. You know, when you build a ditch these days, you'll see the workers outside, they shore it up with wood so it doesn't cave in on them, so they don't meet this kind of a fate. If the ax is dull and you don't sharpen the edge, then you're just going to have to work harder. You know, we have the saying today that a sharp ax cuts more wood. And so time spent in preparation, 
time spent in education, time spent, time spent in, uh, in preparing yourself can pay off in the future. I had to consider this in my own education. When I was at seminary and, uh, and I got my one degree, I said, well, should I go on and get another degree? And I, I said, I, you know, book study is a little bit wearying. I'd rather be out in the field ministering. But if I invest a few more years, actually a little more than a few years, in sharpening my ax, maybe I'll become more effective. And I tell you, I never regret that decision because oftentimes I'm called upon to answer a question from the Bible, I'm better equipped because of those extra years. Or so I've been in situations where they point to me, Charlie, would you bring our message today? <laughs> Just like that in other countries. They don't, you know, they don't carefully prepare their sermons like I like to. So God gives grace and I get up and give a message drawing on the things that I've learned and the education and preparation I've had. So I never regret the extra education and preparation. You won't either. Deepen the well, sharpen the edge. Make sure you have the right tools to get the job done. Put wisdom to work in getting that job done. Put wisdom to work in controlling your words, he goes on to say in verses 11 through 15. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness. And the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. A serpent will bite if it's not charmed. Here's somebody who rushes in to handle a snake before it's charmed. So you want to charm the snake before you handle it. Because when you handle it, it's too late. It can bite you. And so here's someone who's loose with his words, called a babbler, someone who just goes on and on and on with his words, not taking the time to stop, evaluate, to think ahead of what he's saying, he, he or she is saying. The tongue is just out of control. James chapter 3 talks about the tongue being a fire, being a rudder of a ship, just being out of control. Who can control it? And so that's so true with many, many people. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to control our tongues, don't we? So without the proper restraints... Some things can be very dangerous. And he's talking about here the fool who just prattles on, always talking, uh, just making a lot of noise. Have you ever seen in public or in private a husband and wife screaming at each other? Not listening to each other, but talking over each other. Or a political debate or anything on TV. People screaming over each other, never listening, just multiplying words. And this fool is bragging about the future, but Solomon says no man knows what is to be. No man can predict the future. Uh, no man can tell what's going to happen after he's gone. And, uh, and fools can be lazy as well. Their words keep them from success, keep them from common sense. We're reminded of Shakespeare's words in Macbeth that life, he's speaking about life, but we could apply it here. Life is... Uh, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. That's what a lot of fools are like when they babble on with their words. A lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. 
So use God's wisdom in controlling your words. Think things through before you speak them. What will be the consequences? What will be the effect? Uh, are you elevating yourself or are you being considerate to elevate the other person or the person you're talking to and showing genuine concern? When it comes to leading other people, wisdom can work for you as well. Verses 16 through 19. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the building decays and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Now he's talking about those who are ruling over us, and we can be ruled by fools. Mark Twain said, um, he said, suppose I'm speaking to a fool, and suppose I'm speaking to a congressman, but I repeat myself. <laughs> Good old Mark Twain from Fort Worth, Texas. So here you have a, he's saying, woe is the, is the land that is governed by a child. In other words, somebody inexperienced and probably foolish. That land's going to suffer. Those people are going to suffer. In uh, the 17th century, Sweden had a king named Charles Twelfth. He assumed rule at the age of 16. He brought in his rowdy friends who ran their horses through the streets, knocking people to the ground, ran their horses uh, through his mother's or grandmother's apartment even. They used, uh, they shoot guns in the palace and blow out the windows of the palace. Just like kids partying all day long. Well, the preachers of Stockholm got together and they all decided to preach this passage, this verse 16, on one Sunday. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, when your princes feast in the morning. I don't know the results of that, but that's how the story goes. They were being biblical in their observations. So here you have uh, leaders who are maybe selfish, foolish, um, indulgent, uh, and, and isn't that the characteristic of so many rulers to just indulge themselves in wealth? Saddam Hussein had, I don't know how many mansions. He had mansions everywhere when they discovered him, dozens of palaces. Um, Imelda Marcos had her thousands, legendary thousands of shoes. Remember that, the first lady of the Philippines. Russian oligarchs today have yachts as big as cruise ships parked around the world while people starve to death. But, you know, the, the uh, power is not for partying and drunkenness, is what he's saying. And not for doing it in the morning, but at the proper time. You do a good day's work, and then at the proper time, you celebrate in the evenings. You can relax. You can, you can have a feast at the proper time. But this young king, he wants to party all day long, showing his foolishness. And he's lazy, and so the building decays. When a ruler's in charge, infrastructure gets neglected because money is spent on excesses, favorite causes, or selfish causes. 
And the people suffer for lack of good infrastructure, lack of good roads. I tell you, I go to Africa, I visit a country, and roads are terrible, potholes. I mean, not potholes, I don't know, they're ditches. It's not even right to call them potholes, they're ditches, and they're dirt roads. And you think, well, next time I come, it'll be paved and it'll be improved because every politician always promises to do that, and that's how they get elected. 20 years later, same thing, same promises made, same promises broken, streets still in shambles. Oh, my aching back. Don't sit in the back of a van when you go to Africa. Sit in the front, because the back tends to... Little tip for you. So, save the feast for celebration. He says something interesting at the end of this passage, but money answers everything. I think some Bibles even say money is everything. I think it's simply saying that money has a lot of power. Money can change things. Money can do a, a lot of good things as well as it can do a lot of evil things. Money can make a big difference in this life. Money is how we measure success, how we measure uh, wealth or poverty. It's, it's a currency. Some countries it might be cows, but in America and many other countries it's money. So money has uh, a big influence. But put wisdom to work when you're leading other people and take note of what it looks like to be foolish and excessive and selfish with the resources you have control over. And then finally, in our last section, verses uh, 16 through 19, put wisdom to work in withholding criticism. When you're tempted to criticize others, we might say, do not curse the king even in your thoughts. Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Here's where we get another saying, a little birdie told me. If you're tempted to criticize or curse a leader or authority or even a friend, don't even think about it, because whatever you think about this eventually is going to come out, I think, is the idea. So if you're cursing the rich, that would be somebody in power. Even in your bedroom, somebody may overhear that. Well, they can certainly read your emotions when you meet them. Your voice will carry through the air like that little bird's transporting it. We have another saying today, the walls have ears. Have you ever said something and say, oh, I shouldn't have said that? But you can't take words back. You know, in the country of North Korea, I read testimonies from people living there. It's such a paranoid society because People are afraid to talk to anybody about anything. They can't even talk to their own family. It's so sad because if you say the wrong thing to even a family member, they might rat you out and you can die or your whole family will die. It's just a brutal, brutal regime over there. It's the worst in the world. So people have to guard every word and it would be wise to guard every thought as well. Best way to keep a secret is just not tell anyone. Keep it to yourself, but even be careful about your thoughts. Keep them positive. Wisdom would teach us to withhold criticism, even in our thinking, because it'll taint our words somewhere down the line. So that's what it's like to live with wisdom. Well, not always do we do that, though. Sometimes we violate wisdom's principles. Maybe you look back over life and you say, well, I kind of messed up there. And maybe you feel like you're paying the consequences for that or you have guilt over it. Well, what are we to do then when we violate wisdom's principles? Well, I think the biblical path would be to repent or reorient yourself 
and, and think differently about what you've done. And then confess it to God as a sin and confess it to others that you might have harmed. And then commit yourself to following God in obedience and living your life according to his principles of wisdom. And then keep learning, especially from other people with more experience. Listen to other people who are wiser than you. Have good mentors, good instructors, good leaders as much as you can. So much of the book of Proverbs, the books of wisdom uh, in Proverbs are in the early chapters, especially parents instructing their children. It kind of takes that tone for the book. You know, listen, my sons, listen, my daughters. Uh, it's parents instructing their children. Listen to those with more experience. Parents aren't always dumb and aren't always wrong. You know, the, the fastest way to wisdom is to let Christ live his life through us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 calls Christ the wisdom of God. And then if we let Christ live through us, as Paul did when he says, for me to live is Christ, and it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's obvious that Jesus controlling him and living his life out through him is going to result in a wise life, a life of few regrets. So the quickest way to wisdom is to let the God of wisdom through Jesus Christ, who's called God's wisdom, live his life through us. So the most important thing we could say today is make sure that Christ is our Savior. And Christ as our Savior dwells inside of us. And then let Christ live his life out through us. And we'll live a life of wisdom. So let's just bow in a word of prayer as we close this message. And consider, looking back over life, some foolish things you've done. Maybe you've already changed your mind about them. Maybe you've already confessed them to God and to other people. But is Christ living his life through you? That's the question. Do you know him as Savior, the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead, who gives eternal life as a free gift and then gives himself as a gift to live inside of you and dwells you through his Holy Spirit? And as we walk in that spirit, his spirit, we walk in Christ and he in us. And we won't make the foolish mistakes. At least we'll lessen them. And so, Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus Christ, wisdom embodied and then indwelt in us. We thank you for him. We thank you that there's a better way that you've shown to us. Thank you for the words of wisdom today that come from your your servant Solomon. And I pray that we might live up to them, live according to them, and live a life pleasing to you and to other people, a life of influence and impact and eternal significance. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.